You are listening to Behind the Horse's Eyes on the Illiterate Podcast Network. So I had amazing guests lined up, and unfortunately, they they had to back out at the last moment. So what do you do in that scenario? Well, you call four of your closest content creators that all happen to be horse people, and you make magic happen. I reached out to Heather Hullett, Skylar Beebe, Jessamine Rice, and Hannah Schroeder to sit down and have a roundtable. What was supposed to have been an hour ended up being over three hours of content. I narrowed it down to about 58 minutes or so, but there was so much stuff left over that I am sure we could probably do something with it. So without any further ado, here's what we've coined the Round Table of Mediocre Horsemen. I figured, uh, what better than to uh, get four of your best content creators that are also horse people together in the same room and see what we could come up with. So welcome Skylar Beebe, Jessamine Rice, Heather Hullett, and Hannah Schroeder to the show. Thanks for having us. I said hi. I know you said hi. It's fine. This is going to be kind of a relaxed episode, so it's, it's okay. We can we can just talk. So something came up earlier. We had this huge talk about it, and I, I wanted. I said it was golden content. We definitely need to talk about it, and I can't remember who come up with it first. I don't know if it was was it Hannah or Skylar. It was Hannah. It was and Hannah about green riders, and when do you not call yourself a green rider anymore? Uh, the day you stop pulling hay out of your crotch. That 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 never stops. Well, you know, I said... <laughs> your bra. Yeah, well... I, I, I literally just looked down and I had a piece of hay stuck to my pants. So. Well, you know, I've always been like this. The, the day that you swing a leg over a saddle and you're not prepared to learn something new is the day you just need to get out of horses. Absolutely. I completely agree with that 100%. Um, you know, and, and one of the points that, that I think we all agreed on is exactly that, you know, um, and it doesn't matter what discipline you you practice in the equine world. There's always something you can learn and there's always something you can do better, um, both you and your horse. I mean, yeah, you take <clears throat> you take a barrel racer out onto a trail and nine times out of ten, that horse isn't going to know what the hell to do. Because I'll, all it knows know. is green and all it knows is barrels. I'll 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 argue that. I'll I'll argue I will against too. that. As 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 a, as the as you got two barrel racers here, you're not going to get away with that. No, no. I was I was just pointing that out as, as like an example, not 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 fact. But I'm saying that a lot of the times, if you take one horse from its main discipline and put it into something else, it's not going to know what to do, and it's and it's going to end up being confusing. You're going to have to learn with that horse in that situation. And, and I'll add on to that too. It's, it's not necessarily always the horse in that situation, but definitely the horse feeds off the rider too. So like mm-hmm. I teach traditional riding lessons and a lot of the time, a lot of our lessons are in the arena. And when I take a student who is very confident and comfortable in the arena and take them out on the trail, it can be a huge difference. And usually like the student, the students who've been out there before, whether the horse has been out there or not, they're more successful than the students who haven't whether their horse has been out or not, because they're feeding off that horse. The student's nervous. They're looking around. And when they're turned, the horse is like, you're scared. I'm scared. What are you scared of? I'm scared of it too. And then it can become, that's when you take that rider who may be very accomplished in the arena or, you know, they could show all the time, but if they're nervous, when you take them out on the trail, 
you know, then they become the green rider of the group, no matter if they have more experience than others as far as saddle time goes. Well, you know, so I'm going to jump on uh, what Jess said with that because some of the discussion, it was kind of getting more into green horses and the discussion being more of the rider. I, at what point I think, I guess, yeah, you're always learning, but uh, at what point you are no longer a green you would be considered a green rider maybe especially by others is when you are able to comfortably and confidently handle a situation that you're in now that does not mean you're not going to be green in other situations but for that situation you would no longer be considered a green rider even if you're on a green horse yeah and so that's that's where i was coming more along the lines of you know it's per your discipline you might not be green per your discipline that you're riding in but once you go into a different setting you're still green because you still got a lot to learn and that's that's what i was kind of getting at from going from doing barrels to a trail ride you know well, what i mean is trails is there a completely different setting you're going to run into so many more obstacles and so much more opposition out on a trail than you are when you're in an arena running patterns. Well, trails, I've always said, make or break a lot of people. And the reason they do is, you know, I've always taken students and they've been in the arena or they've been in the round pen and they do really good. And kind of as usually a present, uh, once they've reached the stage where I know they're pretty comfortable to where I don't have to keep my eyeballs on them constantly. The trail ride is kind of the icing on the cake. That's kind of, hey, you get to graduate to the next level. And that's how I've always run my program here. But I'll be honest with you, a set of challenging trails. Now, I'm not talking about like extreme cowboy challenge or anything like that. But just a set of challenging trails can make or break a lot of people that spend a career in the arena, especially with their horse. And um, if you've got a horse that is not... Let me put it this way. You may have a horse that's a perfect gentleman in the arena. You throw that horse out there on trails when there's different smells and there's deer and there's squirrels throwing acorns and everything else. You'll really find out what that horse is made of, too. Yeah, absolutely. So, and taking that situation and making it something totally different, maybe not having anything to do with trails. Um, So, I would consider myself a pretty experienced rider. Um, I've ridden my whole life since I was a kid, um, accomplishing the trail. I've been, you know, I've been out on the trails. I've been in the arena. I've shown multiple disciplines, but, um, last year I just started, uh, roping and no matter how much experience I had or how good of a handle I had on my horse, you know, roping was something totally new to me. So I was the green rider, you know, quote unquote, compared to everybody else. Cause I'm trying to figure out you know, where's the best place to stand? You don't want to stand between the cow and someone who's hard tying, especially when they're hard tying, because, you know, that's a solid line connected from the horse, to the, you know, from, from a person to a cow. And in that situation, I would have considered myself green because I'm just watching everybody else trying to figure out where I can be the best things that I can do, you know, to make sure I'm not getting myself hurt or getting others hurt, you know? So I would consider myself green in that, you know, that type yeah. of situation. When I, I, think when, I think whenever you change jobs within equestrian sport, you're always, whenever you're the new guy, you're always going to be green. And I, I, I honestly think this has more to do with as a rider, as a horse person with fundamentals, when do you not call yourself green anymore? You know, we have the novice that's never ridden the horse before. You've got the beginner and then, like me, I like to throw the term advanced beginner out there. And then you've got your intermediate and your advanced riders. And at what point is that cut off to where somebody is green? And to me, that's where you start getting close to being an intermediate rider. Because once you're kind of in that advanced beginner stage, you're learning how to fix some problems on the fly. You know how to one rein stop. Um, you know, You know how to get back on your pockets when stopping a horse. You know, you, you can pretty much do everything. Now, have you seen everything? No. Have you experienced No, but you everything? can handle all of the basics. That's right. And I will take a good, eager, advanced, you know, beginner 
over an intermediate that thinks they know everything all day. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I know guys that have been writing for, you know, 30 or 40 years and they've been in, in the ranching aspect of it. They've been in the competitive aspect of it all. And no matter what you ask them, they still tell you that they're a beginner writer because they're still learning, you know, and, and granted, I think personally, um, yeah. And, in, in that aspect, you are always a green writer, um, based off of if you're going to be switching disciplines at all. Um, but realistically, if I had to choose a specific point to where you're no longer a green rider, um, I think that point would have to be when you can confidently control your horse in just about any situation. Um, um, if your horse is going to take off with you, do you know how to take care of that? You know what I mean? And I, I, I'd add on that too. So like looking at it from somebody who teaches like in a lesson perspective of like what are your green riders going off what Ryan was saying, you know, like when they change from being a beginner to advanced beginner to intermediate. So if I'm looking at it from that situation, I would say I would consider one of my students no longer a quote unquote green rider when they are able to control the horse, not only the horse that they're riding, so usually they start off on something that's more of a dull deadhead, um, but not only control that horse, but a horse that has more um, sensitivity and get up and go and able to, re you know, respond to those legs and seat aids. You know, I would consider my rider no longer a beginner when they're no longer, you know, pulling left to go left, pulling right to go right, pulling back to stop only when they're starting to use their legs and their seat aids to get that horse to respond opposed to you know just pulling that horse around the arena and barely getting the job done heather looks like she is chomping at the bit to say something over there oh no i'm trying my cat is over here like i don't know what she's doing so i'm like trying to watch her <laughs> there's a gap about this big between my bed and the wall and the way that she's acting she's almost fallen in it like 10 times so it's i'm not like, i'm i'm not editing this out let's just stay in there it's um so, go ahead, go ahead Hannah. back off of what you were no, just saying I just, I, this is going to be more for anybody that's listening that maybe it doesn't it has a hard time picturing it so um i'm a snow skier as well and just be and so kind of this is more of getting to just because you might be competent in some situations does not mean you're always going to be competent in all situations. So in skiing, we have green, which is beginner, blue, which is intermediate, blue, black, advanced, intermediate, and then black, advanced. And it kind of black just increases from there and doubles, triples. But so what I am considered is, you know, black is considered advanced and especially in Wisconsin, I can handle those no problem. I have been doing this for a long time. Now, however, the Blacks of Colorado are a different story altogether. So just because you might be advanced in one situation does not mean you're going to be an advanced in all situations. And also, it, it, it's okay. And this is honestly going to be something that I think really tells something a lot about a person, or especially in writing, is it's okay to know when you're not competent in a situation and admit that you're not going to be comfortable or competent in a situation. Okay, and I'll, how you need to get around that. Cause I mean, I've been in situations out in Colorado where I had to take a black diamond on accident because I gave myself no other choice besides hiking back up the mountain. But it, it it's definitely a lot of, you've got to take it slow and it, you mean you're going to feel like a beginner in those situations and that's okay and you need to be able to, to definitely admit that because the, the worst situation you could ever put yourself in especially as a horseman is in a situation of the unknown that's going to get you hurt or get your horse hurt you have no business on a competitive trails course that is for oh, advanced riders when you're obviously a beginner you're going to get yourself or your horse hurt it, I mean, it's just plain and simple, just like, uh, you know, uh, in my world with barrels, you have no business as a beginner starting out 
on a one D horse, r- pushing that horse as fast as it'll go. I've seen what happens there, and it usually ends up with an emergency room. You, you, just too much horse. You know, there is a such thing, and we've all heard it before. Too much horse for you. Oh, absolutely. I can agree with that a hundred percent. Um, I, uh, well, apparently all of your horses are too much horse for you. (laughs) No. So my cousin is well, my, my gelding Mustang, he is, he is definitely too much horse for me right now. And I'm not afraid to admit it. I don't have the experience and training that he maybe needs. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to learn. You know what I mean? Um, but as, as far as, as too much horse for a person, um, uh, my, my cousins, they both rode semi-pro bulls and Bronx in South Dakota. And my, my gay cousin, he now rides barrels, right. And has for the last several years. Um, and you know, in, in the last podcast with you that I was on, I'd, I'd stated that I'd, I'd taken, you know, a 10 or 12 year break off of horses or whatever. And you, it is a, a perishable experience like you you can lose it you know it's you'll gain it back pretty quick but it's it's one of those things that if you've taken that long of a break and they throw you right on that semi-pro barrel horse they're gonna uh <laughs> they're that's not a good horse for you that's, that's gonna be too much horse for you if, if you haven't been on a horse in that long no and uh they threw me right on right on his barrel horse on 120 acres and she took off with me and i wasn't expecting it and uh, that was, it was pretty scary because, like I said, I, I hadn't been on a horse in a while and, and I wasn't expecting that horse to take off. And I that horse was way too much for me to control. She was running through the bit and all of that. She just wanted to go. She was a running horse. She wanted to run and she was going to get her way. Well, I can tell you right now that 90 percent of the problems I've ever had with a horse has always been with. um me it's always been a me problem absolutely most of the time it's never really been a horse problem yeah and and like i said at at that point that that horse was too much horse for me to control and uh now i wouldn't have an issue doing it um but at that point in time i had no business being on that horse no and i think that's generally the problem with a lot of people is usually they're on a horse that they do not have any problem being on. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and, and that's another thing too, is as far as, as when you're a green rider and when you're not too, is I think that you're starting to move up in that category when you can openly admit to when you're wrong on a horse when you're when you can openly admit that you don't have business being on a horse or a horse is too much for you or you don't know what's going on in a situation when you can actually admit your own flaws rather than blaming them on the horse i think is is a good indication on when you're starting to progress because that just shows your maturity and your recognition of a certain situation while you're around horses well, that, that honestly brings me to something else I wanted to talk about, and that's a good segue into it, is that's pretty much the equestrian community as a whole, is nobody ever wants to admit when they're wrong, and if somebody else points out they're wrong, they get super defensive about it, or they may not be wrong. It may just work for them, and then somebody's going to tell them a hundred times and over and over that what you're doing is dumb, it doesn't work that way, you need to do it this way, you need to, you know, uh, small loop, big loop, short rope, long rope, you know, I, if it works for somebody, it works for somebody. It may not work for you, but it works for them. And it just feeds off the, and I I harp on this so much and I hate to bring it back up again, but that's why we're so damn toxic. Absolutely. And so to, to piggyback off of that, right. Um, I spent eight years in the Marine Corps. I've deployed twice and I preached up and down about, um gear your your setup right your flak and your your magazines and your grenade pouches and all that i always always told my guys do not pay attention to what the sop for your gear is i don't care what your gear's supposed to look like you put your shit 
my bad. You put your stuff on there in a manner that works for you because I can reach my magazines this way, but that doesn't mean that's going to be comfortable and quick for you to do the exact same thing with the exact same setup that I have. You know what I mean? And I, and in that situation, I'm trying to make it so that my Marines are being effective in a combat situation. And that's transitioning that into the horse world is your tack and the way you ride has to work for you. It doesn't matter if it works for somebody else. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot to say about like, there's fundamentally obviously things that are, you know, right or wrong. Like, you know, everyone should have tack that fits their horse correctly because it, you know, you don't want to cause injury, but that doesn't mean that it should be, you know, this kind of tack or this kind of tack, or you should ride this way or this way, just like, you know, just how we always talk about how horses need many different approaches and types of training. Like people are the same way. Like just because, you know, Joe Schmo over here thinks it's right to go and be bucking. They, they feel like they need to buck their horse out and stay on. Doesn't mean that, you know, like I'm not that kind of person. I'm not the kind of person who likes to, you know, stay on and, get rodeo wild kind of deal you, you, you know don't I mean? like to have the the high potential of hitting the ground hard no I did that way too many times like I've done it way too many times it's not for me I don't I don't want to get injured anymore um but also I also know that like I wouldn't consider myself a quote-unquote trainer because I know that there are horses that need that um but I guess like going back to what Ryan had to say you know, what Ryan was talking about that you know, there's, there's so many people out there who want to say this is right or this is wrong or blah, 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 blah. And that their way is the only way, but in all reality, horses and people both have very different personalities and very different ways that they're actually capable of doing stuff or aren't capable of doing stuff. Like I teach typical riding lessons and I also teach therapeutic riding lessons. I don't teach my typical riding students the exact same way as I teach my therapeutic riding students because sometimes physically they can't do it. Cognitively, it may not be the same. Like I, if I tried to keep the same teaching style for all of my students, whether they're you know even typical student to typical student, I have two students that are polar opposites. One is a go-getter and wants to like rough it up too much and I have to dial her back and another one that needs a lot of confidence and I have to push her to be a little bit more aggressive, you know, same with horses, you can't, the same, your style of teaching or your style of training has to change depending on the horse that you're with, depending on the horse and rider combination. And so all of the people that, you know, are out there just out there trying to tell people what they're doing right or wrong, you know, they don't, without knowing the background and the full gist of the whole encompassing you know, story, they can't, they can't say what's right or wrong. No, I will jump off. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ryan. No, I will have a, so like, I, I heard you say, you know, about some people bucking horses out and all, and everybody knows my background is history. I've worked in the museum system before as a researcher and historical interpreter. So research is what I love to do. And on a wild hair one day, I said, well, I'm going to look at horse training through the ages and see what i can dig up and it was great because i found a bunch of you know uh calvary manuals from europe and the u.s from all the way the pre-civil war to you know the 1600s even uh calvary procedures for training horses for like the the winged hussars and everything else all the way back to uh, written text about how even mongols trained their horses and you know what I found? At no point that we're bucking horses out a thing. No, I can't absolutely. stand it. And, and but but these guys will defend it, and they'll and and this is not me calling those guys out. But those guys will defend it and go, "Well, it's tradition." I'm trying to figure out what tradition is it because you look through history, the Mongols literally went to war on horses. They didn't never went to foot. Went to war on foot. 
the winged hussars are some of the most famous cavalrymen in history, and they didn't do it. The U.S. Army cavalry never did it. They never bucked horses out. This sounds more like a rodeo tradition that came up in the in the 40s and 50s on ranches at the inception of the quarter horse more than it does uh, any kind of tradition that I can find when it comes to horse training. Now, I could be missing something, and I'm firmly open for someone to correct me, but when, when I look through history, bucking out is, is, is not a, a thing I find. Well, and I'll tell you That's right now. It's yeehaw it's, culture versus, uh, it's not cowboy culture, it's yeehaw culture. And I feel like a lot of the people that I've seen that do that, they are people who, they're, they're the ones who are like, they like to think they know a lot more than they actually do. Now, I'm not saying that that's everybody, but that has been my experience where they're the ones who know just enough to be dangerous and they start calling themselves trainers and stuff. But every horse that seems to come out from them is freaking dangerous. Listen, I've trained horses, and I've trained horses for money, but I don't consider myself a trainer. Well, and you know where I stand on the whole trainer thing. Um, I think the way I look at it is no matter what, if you are handling a horse, you're a trainer. Whether you're teaching that horse good or bad habits doesn't matter because you are teaching that horse something. Um, As far as bucking a horse out goes, uh, I'll I'll tell you what is – as a guy that, that loves Mustangs and, and predominantly is around Mustangs, if you buck that horse out, nine times out of ten, that horse is going to learn that whether you stay on or not, that that's what it's supposed to do, and or that it's going to have a bad experience every time you get on that horse, and it's gonna act out every time because it's had nothing but bad experiences and yeah. doesn't want to do what you want it to do well there's nothing wrong You're with not- being being prepared for that buck during that first ride because nine times out of ten you're going to get a crow hop or something i mean mm-hmm. it's, it's it's just going to happen that's the nature of the beast okay the the issue i have is and th- now that first ride if that horse starts bucking the, the wise thing to do is try to hang in there kind of as long as you can to let them know you're not going to get me off easy if you can now if it if you're not comfortable with that then obviously get off but if your whole intention is to take a horse that is untouched as a two-year-old put it in a round pen for 15 minutes and run it in some circles and then throw a saddle on it and then buck it you're an idiot i'm sorry if that is your idea of training you can at me on that you're an idiot. It's called forced helplessness. It, that, that's, that's the legit training term is forced helplessness. And it's it, all it is is just teaching that horse to basically shut down. What you're doing is you're creating a horse that's going to have a cold back it's the rest of its life. And, that's, and I've been on a horse where somebody essentially did that. And I think, honestly, he may have kind of forced the horse to buck for fun, um, which I was not made aware of until after the incident. And I was very much, I was that beginner who I knew just enough to be dangerous. I thought I didn't need to know. I, I thought I had learned everything there was to learn this and that. And I believe me, I cringe looking back at it now, but that horse I was told was broke to ride and everything like that. I got on him. We went a couple times around and he started trying to buck on me, and so I tried to stop him, and he about went over backwards on me. Yeah. Well, um, he sat down, and I was able to slide off, and that actually is now instilled a fear in me to this day of horses running over backwards on me. Well, I'm well gonna... and that's another thing, too, is, is in the equine world, is nobody wants to be honest about their horse's level of training either. They, they don't want to be honest about their level, and they don't want to be honest about their horse's level especially if you're selling you just want that animal gone you're not going to tell them if there's anything wrong with you. you're just going to tell them how great it is and and a lot of people also don't take into consideration somebody's riding level when they're throwing them on a more advanced horse either no and i'm going to bring heather in for a second because she's been sitting over there all quiet in the corner with her tennessee flag cup over here exactly. let's pick on her let's pick on her what is it anyway so and she calls it noodling her horse. She uses pool noodles. And we had a conversation, uh, what, about a month ago 
about uh, tying a horse. Some guy, um, you know, everybody was all over this guy because he had tied plastic bags to the horse and then tied the horse to, to desensitize. Yeah. And I said, you know what? I said, as long as he is there with the horse and can, if that horse were to freak out, let that horse go. I don't have as much problem with it as somebody might think. Now, is it 100% the right thing to do? No, because it forces the horse. In my opinion, I think it forces the horse in a way that that isn't correct. And I could be speaking out of my butt there, but it doesn't work for me. I'm more... I'm more about honest, like, it's along the lines of the forced helplessness. Yeah. Again, it's a situation yep. that they cannot get away from that you're forcing yeah. them to have to deal with. And they usually deal with it by shutting down. Now, if you could, but here's the thing now, if you can do it without the horse trying to pull away or hang itself, I'm okay. I can deal. I could, I can deal with that a whole much better than, than bucking out. Now I would rather see the horse standing there on a lead line while you throw plastic bags at it. Yes, that that's 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 a whole lot better scenario for me as far as desensitizing, you know, start out with a plastic bag on a stick and work your way up to hanging a plastic bag on it. You know, my friend who is a wonderful trainer, Brandy, uh, she's been in some of my lives. I got to get her on one day. And uh, the only thing I got against her is she uses half of Pat Pirelli's method. And I, I show her that, you know, I don't have time to you know play Monopoly with my horses for training here. But uh but no, and, and there are some good aspects, I think, from all the, the trainers. But uh, her desensitizing method is, is straight from Pirelli. And, uh, you know, it works good for her. I can't seem to make it work, but it works good for her. And she can take a horse within about a week or so, and she'll have a blue tarp draped over the horse with her wearing it like a cape without a problem. Granted, she's a hell of a lot better trainer than I am. But she doesn't do the whole tie it and tie bags around it and this, that, and the other, or tie shit to its halter. Now nah, I got to beat that out. Tie stuff to its halter. That's not her style. But I'll be honest with you. I'm more okay with somebody doing that than somebody bucking a horse out. I just, I can correct what somebody does there. I can't correct something cold backed that they have ruined from the ground up. And you've got to start completely over. And then it, you get it at 15 years old and somebody wants to buy it for a kid's horse. And they want to know why it wants to crow hop every time their kid gets on it. And you go, well, it's 15 and nobody ever fixed this problem. Yep. So I'm going to so, go for so, it. Go ahead. Jess. <laughs> say, I'm going to jump in with my, my noodling technique. Um, so yes, towards the end of one well, and my horses, I train on them till the day they die. I mean, they're, the training's never done, but once they are good and solid minded is when I start like putting them in the cross ties and eating pool noodles at them. But to start that out, I don't just sit there and be like, yeah, and you know, throw the pool noodles at them and hope to God they don't break something. Starting out, I just scatter them everywhere, hang some in their stalls so that they're used to seeing them, lead them across them when I'm taking them to the pasture, throw them in the round pen and lunge them with pool noodles laying in there. And then eventually I'm like lunging them using a pool noodle as a, uh, the lunge whip. And I'll eventually get up to the point where they're not freaking out over seeing the pool noodles. And then we'll start yeeting them at them when they're in cross ties, but they're also tied. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait a minute. Did you just say yeeting them? Yes. Are you yeeting the horse? I am yeeting pool noodles at the horse. Okay. And that's awesome. Going off, going off that, I think, you know, my truly fundamental, what I believe is horses definitely learn off of pressure and release. So you're absolutely, that's where I was going to go with. Yeah. It. If you, so if you're like, obviously, yes. Like I think it's, there's, when you work a horse up to it, there's no problem with tying a bag or something like that to them, but they work off pressure and release. So if you are putting pressure on them by tying something to their hind end, or tying something to them, but also putting pressure on their front end where they're tied to something. You're just asking for that horse to explode until like Hannah said, they go dull and numb, but like, that's still not accepting it. They're still going to have something in them. That's ready to just like explode. No, and, that's it's just yeah. building anxiety at that rate. Yeah. And that's why yeah. I said, if so you've got to see it, Oh, sorry. No, that's why I was saying. If you've got a horse and you're doing that and you've got a horse that's trying to hang itself, you know, by what it's tied to, 
then no. If you've got a horse that just wants to be a little twitchy or something when it sees something blowing by and it will stand there tied and accept it, different story. That That's what I'm saying. If, if the horse is not going to hang, you know for a fact the horse is not going to hang itself, but it wants to scoot or something a little bit, I'm, I'm okay with, with, with really honestly okay. Let me put it this way. You don't need to be leaving the horse in that situation. This person was leaving oh, Lord, the horse no. tied with bags around it and then came back later. That, the, that's a good way to kill a horse. That's a good way to kill yeah. a horse. I'm a yeah. bigger fan of doing it while the horse is on a lunge tape or an elite line or in, in the round pin. Where it has room to get away if it feels threatened. Yeah. And, and so that's that's where the pressure and release comes in so well is the fact of the matter that when you're using the pressure and relief or release meth, or method, God, I can't talk right now. When you're using the pressure mouth. and release method, it is literally teaching that horse that you what it's doing is either acceptable or not acceptable. You are giving it good um you're you're rewarding the horse for doing what you want it to do and by doing that it's learning like oh okay so in this situation this is what's expected of me if you're just going to tie a horse up and give it something that's it's terrified of go and eat lunch and come back that horse isn't learning that you want it to just stand there that yeah. horse is just learning. I have no other choice. Well, that's yeah. why I did the whole barefoot, but the barefoot. I said barefoot. Shit. The I gotta edit that out. Bootleg Bubba. Bootleg Bubba. That's why I did the whole thing about the 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 tying and thing up with the bag. Is because that it bothered me so much, you know, about the the, the going to lunch because I had actually watched the video and I didn't want to reply to the video because I didn't want to be that guy. But the guy was taught, he had probably 25 plastic grocery bags tied to the horse. He tied the horse and said, I can go to lunch and come back and he'll be desensitized. And I'm like, no, you can go to lunch and come back. And either he's going to be hurt or he's going to fear for his life. And you're never going to get a good horse that way. But going back to that, too. Hold on. Go ahead, Jess. All right. Let me just say something super quick. Um, but going back to what Ryan said about having them tied up as long as they're not going to freak out, blah, 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 blah. That still goes back to pressure and release because if that horse knows to have pressure and release while being tied, it's a totally different situation than tying something up that's terrified because if they can think through that process of, oh, I hit this pressure, if I relax, it's going to release that pressure. They're already set up to realize if I'm moving around, this adds a lot of pressure from the bag. But as soon as I relax, in release that it's going to release its pressure too wait a minute does somebody just agree with my method i don't agree with your method i'm just saying no that's not my method i'm just saying (laughs) i'm okay if somebody were to say you know what hey you know a horse that ties really good and just a little twitchy you know i'll do that and i'll you get a pass i mean i'm not saying it's the right thing to do i would rather see it done the round pin on a lunch tape or even a round pin loose and you know i don't desensitizing is one of those things that there are people that make careers out of desensitizing horses. Uh-huh. And my friend Brandy is one of those. You could you could send her anything and it'll be bomb proof. The only horse I've ever took and was able to desensitize to AT is my little Morgan. And I equate that to being a Morgan. Um, just because I'll be honest with you, and you're gonna you're gonna hate me because you're like, oh, here he goes with the Morgan thing again. <laughs> but um I'll be honest with you, well well bred examples of that breed um desensitized very well and and very easily um i can i took that horse and she was scared of her own shadow and she was abused when i got her i hunt pigs from her back now with guns i can shoot between her ears which you should not do by the way do not shoot over your horse's head it's a good way to get put in the dirt but i have accidentally shot over her head before and all i got was a twitch so there's a right and a wrong way to do things. And then there's that gray area. And I don't know. To me, that's just in that gray area of, you know what, if it, I'll give that a pass if that works, as long as the horse isn't trying to hang itself. But you are 100% right, Jess. It does open the opportunity of the horse to, in fact, hang itself. And they do not get the release that they really do need. So what I was going to say kind of ties in with some of that 
and I wanted to say this earlier, um, but this is more for like anybody listening that might be new or trying to find somebody to help them. Just because somebody says they are a professional does not mean they know what they're talking about. All a professional is, at least in most associations, is that they got paid by somebody for something oh. horrible. Oh, God, yeah. Well, and I always so I've met many I've met many people who have said, "Oh, I'm professional. I'm a trainer. I'm professional," and I'm like, I wouldn't send a horse. I wouldn't let you ride my horse, let alone you know, so so called train it. But then, sorry, there was kind of two parts. Well, that's what I wanted to say earlier, and you know, you kind of drive that home with the the Bubba there. Um, But the other thing is, is that when it comes to some of the desensitizing, it is okay to start small. You do not need to start with throwing a feed bag at your horse or tying it to the saddle. If that horse is twitchy to the noise of a bag, start with a chip bag. Get it used to the noise. Um, that was from across the arena got, if you have to. Yeah, and like I when I got a hold of my mare um, Nirvana, my gray mare, she was uh, sent to me to do some work at the rodeo. Uh, we were volunteers there. We did parking, but also that year we were asked to be flag carriers for the grand entry. I'd never carried a flag before. As far as I was aware, she'd never seen a flag before. And, but people I got it from had uh, done a lot of desensitizing with her, but I didn't start off just waving a flag around here. I think I started off actually with a uh, like chair cushion, like a small chair cushion and just waving it around to see how she would react. And then I moved up to a saddle pad and then a closed flag and then finally an open flag. And I did that in a couple of different situations where I was doing it in the arena outside of the arena and then we did a practice ride in the main rodeo arena the night before so that I made sure I wasn't going to get dumped on live tv um like somebody did at the NFR <laughs> but uh ironically though that didn't set us up entirely and just because your horse is desensitized in some situations does not mean they're going to be desensitized at all because we were in a parade a couple of days before that and we were supposed to carry a flag there and she freaked out. They went to hand me the flag and she about ran over several people because she she had a meltdown over it. And it was just, it wasn't her fault. She was overstimulated. And Absolutely. I, I, I chose not to carry a flag. I was like, nope, we've never been in this situation before. We've never done this. I'm not putting myself in a situation where I don't have control. So I just gave the flag back and said, nope, I'll just ride today. So... Most of my entire job is working with horses that are already supposed to be dead broke, right? That's what they're advertised to be. And then making sure that they really are dead broke and making sure that they are desensitized as much as humanly possible because we have, you know, kids with disabilities riding these horses and they have no back. Like a lot of our students have zero balance. So something happens you know, there, there's not, there's very little chance that they're going to be able to change their balance to be able to, you know, compensate for that. And so I agree with you. There's, but no matter how much work I do with those horses and how much time and how many things I throw at them and how many noisy toys and all that kind of stuff that I use around them, there's always a chance that something new will set them off. I mean, their horses. It's, it's well, even if it's something old. Yeah, I was just about to say matter, something old. Yeah, it, it's, it's a matter of whether or not you catch that horse completely off guard. So my story, and I did not interrupt you, Skylar, but I think oh, I told good? this. I think I told this story with uh, with Jess, and the rest of you know this. When I tore my ACL and ended up with my TBI was because it was something my horse was completely desensitized to. It was just presented to her in a different fashion. And she went absolutely ape and pulled through a one rain stop. And there was uh, either the woods or the ground and I chose the ground, but I, I wanted to, I wanted to kind of, I wanted to say one thing. I had an opportunity a few years ago to work with some, uh, Calvary reenactor horses, uh, Civil War Calvary reenactor horses. And if you want to really see what desensitizing looks like on a grand scale, is those guys that desensitize those horses for reenacting revolutionary and Civil War um, 
they shoot from those horses. Those horses are used to cannon fire. They used to carry pennants and flags. There is nothing that will set these horses off. And I had an opportunity to watch a young horse get trained for shooting mounted. And they started out with a cap gun, like a dollar store cap gun from like 150 feet away from the horse. And slowly worked up. And then they worked up their way up to like a 22 caliber blank. And then they worked up to like a, you know, a, a 32 or a 38 caliber blank. And till they eventually got up to being able to fire a, 50, a 58 caliber musket um, off the horse's back. And that's the method that I used with my little Morgan. And it worked out perfectly. But it's a fine example of starting out small. And starting out slow and, and letting your horse tell you when it's ready to take the next step. Not rushing it. Let the horse tell you when you're ready to take the next step. They'll let you know. And like what Skylar had said too, even about like old situations. So my other mare exception, she's 22. She's kind of been there, done that. I put her in a lot of situations and she's never been an easy horse to ride. Um, but we had, I, I've, she, she came to me with a lot of issues that I had worked several years to fix her through. And recently I brought her back to the barn that I boarded at in college that I started working for. And I realized all of a sudden I had a ride and it was the worst ride that we've had in probably six years. She was running through everything, was not listening to me whatsoever. And I just could not figure out what, what was going on. And sometimes it's just being aware of the situations. And I did not realize this for the last five years, I had ridden around Western pleasure and trail, like trail horses, very low energy horses. Well, that night I was riding with two high energy performance Pasadena's and she could not handle that energy. You, she, you she lost me at Pasadena. I know, I know. Well, and, and that's a good point, too, is, is horses feed off of each other. And so with her, it was, um, Ryan, this, I was going to make a comment earlier on an earlier discussion. I, ended up, I was instructed by the people that were with me, my, my bosses who have been in the game for a long, long time. They actually had me in a sense plow rain where it was the keep my energy low. And all they want me to do is just keep her head straight. Like, don't worry about where she's going. She's going to walk in a circle, do it, but just keep her head straight because she is trying to throw her head around, just keep it straight and keep it light. And that changed so much in just keeping that energy down. But odds are with that mare, unless we are in a different situation, I probably won't ride her with us two again because it's too much energy for her to handle. Now, my other mare, who I'm trying to get into show, like trying to get her back into showing, I probably would so that she knows how to handle that energy. Exception that's not needed, especially at her age. There's other horses I can ride her with. But it's to show that, you know, your situation can change in an instant like that, just depending on what horses you're, you're used to being around. So especially going from a pleasure situation where I said it was Western pleasure horses, it was high schoolers that were showing, and then lesson horses that, you know, for lessons for kids mostly to high level performance horses. It, it is night and day with energy levels that were in that arena. And I'm talking about, we went from riding with probably six horses at once to two. And it was still that much of a difference in energy. And I, I want to piggyback off of that just a little bit. Um, like I said earlier, horses tend to feed off of each other's energy. Like if you've got a, a high energy horse with a, a usually real calm, good, easy going horse, it's going to, it's going to feed off of that energy and you're going to have a little bit more of a spunky ride that day. Um, you know, just, just like this past Saturday, I took my mare and I, I loped her and I wasn't thinking about it, but another horse fed off of her energy because she likes to run. She's an Arab. She, she moves, you know, and I wasn't thinking about the new horse that had never been on a trail ride before. And he fed off of her energy and took off like he was gone, you know? And, and that's another thing that is as horsemen, we need to be considerate of is, is other 
other horses and other riders around us too. And, and too often we're not because we're confident in our horse and what we can do without considering what everybody else around us is comfortable with and what other horses are capable of. Exactly. And with that, like, so with my mare exception, um, she's one of the few passes that I've encouraged her to run to gallop. Um, we actually do some, well, maybe not now that she's 22, but we did some speed events. Um, and she did fairly decent at them, but I always made sure if I was going to be running her that night, I didn't do it with kids in the arena. Not because I was worried that I couldn't control my horse, but I did not. The last thing I needed was Summer taking off with a three-year-old on her back and can't control her. Absolutely. And, and you know, that's, that's another thing that, like I said, is, is as riders, we typically don't even take into consideration is, is the other horses and people around us. And that's, and it's hard to take that into consideration when it's not something that you continuously think about. Yeah, I think it, I think it depends on, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of person I'm always thinking about that because I've been burned so many times with people that I've ridden with. Like I used to be this, I used to be an arena princess and I rode an arena a lot. So then I was very nervous when I started riding out with other people. And I had quite a few bad experiences where I had to ride with people who were not capable of taking care of their horses and not, you know, not riding politely with the people that were around them. And so like now I have like groups of people that I know I really like to ride with and groups of people that I know I really don't like to ride with. Um, for example, we have, uh, we have this person who comes around our group a lot and they never, and I mean, never make their horse mind and it is the most obnoxious thing ever. So I will do anything in my power to not ride with them when I'm on my, when I'm on with one of my horses, my other horse, she doesn't care. She does her own thing, whatever. But like we went off, we went off on the, this trail ride and we got 75% of the way around. But as soon as we turned to go back home, that his horse is acting up, acting up, acting up. And instead of like redirecting his horse and doing something, making him work, making him use his brain, instead of like correcting the situation, he literally just let his horse take off at a full gallop and ran all the way back to the barn and got off his horse. As soon as he got back to the barn, untacked his horse, put him away. And kind of made it seem like that's what he was trying exactly. to do when yeah, realistically and... he just had no control of that horse. Exactly. And, but it happens every single time. So if I'm on a horse that I know is not going to do well in that situation is going to, you know, then I will literally do everything in my humanly power to not ride around them because they're like a human wrecking ball. And they're always like that in every situation. And it's just that I think that they just don't know better. You know, it's, you know, and there's, it's not my place to say anything to them. It's not, you know, if they ask for help, that's great. If not, then they're going to do them. People aren't, you know, it's, it's not my place to, to say anything, but um, as a horse person, I just know that I need to be careful. Like if I'm on a, if I'm on a younger horse, I need to know, who are the people that I want to be riding with and who are the people I don't want to be riding with? First of all, I want to thank everybody for coming on. Hannah, Skylar, Jessamine, Heather, thank you so much for coming on. It's a pleasure. Apparently, we developed something from all of this tonight and second podcast is going to be born. So that is a plus. So I'm going to hand it over to you guys and your closing thoughts. Hannah? <laughs> So realistically, I mean, based on a lot of conversations, I, I, I takeaway that I hope everybody, you know, especially if you're new, would take from this is it is okay to be a beginner. Everybody starts somewhere and you are always learning. If you think that you have reached a point where you don't need to learn anything else, believe me, take it from me. I was there too. You, you got more to learn. So just it's okay to learn more. Skylar. Um, again, I'm going to, I'm going to piggyback off of that one. You know, I, and I, and I saw a video today on, on social media that was, it was, it was pretty accurate. Um, we find ourselves in a time period where a lot of people want to join our community and want to be 
in the horse world, in the Western world. And, and a lot of people actually are afraid to do so based off the fact that they don't want to be considered a wannabe. And, and the fact of the matter is all along the way in our life somewhere, we are all wannabes in one way or the other. And, and that's where all of the greats in whichever genre you're looking in uh, have started. They've all started as wannabes. So don't, don't be afraid to get into it. Don't be afraid to dive head first and just go for it. Um, definitely take the correct steps to do it, but, but don't be afraid to, to join us out here. Jessamine? So we talked a lot today about green riders and um, green horses and all sorts of stuff. But um, the best thing to take out of it is if you think you know everything, humble yourself a little bit. If you don't think you know anything, you should have a little bit more confidence and know that there's people around you who want to support you and help you get better. Uh, We're all learning. And the second you stop learning, this is the second you shouldn't be a horseman. So learn from people around you um, and they're, we're all here if you need any help. Heather? Um, ditto to all of that. Uh, everybody's pretty much said everything that I would have said. So yeah, um, all that. I mean, if you stop, my, one of the biggest things that I say all the time is a day spent without learning something new is a day wasted. And I usually say that just applying to life in general, but it applies to the horse world as well. You should always strive to learn something new every day, no matter how mediocre it is. And I'll be honest with you. I want to say that all of you every day teach me something because you were always there. Y'all are some of the first to comment on anything I post. Y'all are some of the first to be right there and be my my cheerleading group when i don't have one and i love that about each and every one of you when when i started out wanting to do something in the horse community outside of what i've accomplished with my horses with social media it was you guys and it's always been you guys and I remember looking at Skylar when I first started talking to Skylar and saw in the amount of subscriber or followers that he had and going, gosh, I want to be that. I want to be that guy. And now I look at the subscribers that are the followers that I have and I go, holy hell, the guy that I looked up to, we're neck and neck. And now he's one of my best friends. And I don't know if, how, how Skylar feels about that, but I consider Skylar one of my best friends. We're, we're working on a huge project together. And then I met Hannah, and I met Heather, and I met Jessamine. And I've had some of you on this show before, and we interact all through the day, and we bounce ideas off each other, and we comment on other people's social media and what's going on in our community and what's going on in the horse world. and. I just want to thank all of you for coming on, especially in this atmosphere. And I want to tell you that I appreciate everything that all of you bring to my life every day. Absolutely. And I, I would agree. I, I consider you a, one of my best friends too. I mean, honest to God, you're probably nine times out of 10. If I talk to anybody, it's, it's you. And, uh, <clears throat> And I've, I've really enjoyed since we started talking and, and, and just kind of doing our thing in the, in the community, I've, I've really enjoyed watching you grow um, on a social media standpoint. And, and I've, I've really enjoyed watching your transition from, from talking your smack on different horse breeds to actually bringing um, real and, and intelligible information to people about horse breeds and about specific horses and and even the people that ride those horses and it's and it's been an interesting journey to watch you grow in that aspect and i i appreciate that brother i really do it has been a journey and i've enjoyed every minute of it i don't know where the ride's going to end but you know so far everything's trending up and again i couldn't do it with 
especially this is the core group right here, minus one or two that aren't here tonight. This is the core group, and uh, I appreciate y'all coming on for kind of a roundtable tonight. Appreciate you having, Thank you us, for having us on. Yeah, for sure. Lots of fun. Well, you know, you, got, you, you guys are always welcome any anytime. And uh, so with that said, thank everybody for listening and keep a lookout. There might be a new podcast coming around the corner that involves this whole group right here. So with that said, I want to thank Anchor.fm for our sponsor tonight. I want to thank Hannah and Skylar, Heather, Jessamine for coming in and joining me. And we will catch you guys next time. I'd be lying if I said that that wasn't probably the most fun that I've had doing this in a long, long time. And I really want to thank Skylar and Heather and Hannah and Jessamine for coming on last minute like that and, and hanging in there with me and helping me create some content. I also appreciate everybody that listens, and we will catch you guys next time. <laughs>